I called him every week. I called him every week and shared my experiences, shared my value until I got the job. And to this day, I can't remember if it was every week for six weeks or three months. I that time lapse, I'm not sure. Um, but he <laughs> finally fun. hired me. You're somebody who wanted something so bad that you went to those extreme lengths until you got it. And yeah. I do feel like right now, when you're in a market like we are, you have to separate yourself from everyone That's else. That's it. That's it. It's like you so were different. You stood out. Right. My boss told me I was too nice. I was too nice. And he and viewed that as like that was a shortcoming. Of I, it's a negative, right? Like he he said to me in a one on one, like you're too nice. Your team is taking advantage of you. You're too nice. And I wanted to throw up in my seat and be like, Are are you kidding me? I took a deep breath and I just looked at him very calmly. And I said this twice. Don't mistake kindness for weakness, because ultimately, as you as you're pointing out, he's not saying nice as a nicety or just a comment. He's saying that he he thinks that I'm not effective. It always kind of reminds me of the the movie The Bronx Tale, right? Where they say, oh, "Is it better to movie. be is it better to be feared or respected?" Yeah, <laughs> and I kind of feel like there's a bit of that in the culture that yeah. we're always faced with as women, right? Like, do we do we show up one way or another to be the most effective versions of ourselves? I, I had a dream. Christy, I had a vision. Uh, my vision was to become a hot dog vendor. <laughs> Welcome to the She's So Sweet podcast, where we interview accomplished women who have worked their way to the C-suite. I'm your host, Christy Feltruso, Chief Customer Officer and award-winning customer success executive. This is our very first episode of the She's So Sweet podcast, and I am so thrilled to introduce our first guest and my friend, Gianna Scorsone, COO of Champion HQ. Gianna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm honored to be your first guest. Well, I mean, listen, I don't think I could have like teed up a better first guest. So, um, <laughs> it's very flattering. From a Thank conversation standpoint, right? We're going to have fun today. Um, so the intention, listen, of our conversation is I want other women who are aspiring to make their way to the C-suite or have real career ambitions to just understand how other women accomplish these really Herculean tasks, right, of breaking their way in and getting into these roles. And so before we get to all the good stuff, I want to start by telling our listeners a little bit about you. So if you could share a little bit about your current role as COO at Champion HQ and like what your responsibilities look like. Absolutely. So I'm not just COO. I will mention I'm one of the co-founders as well. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What does that really mean other than doing your normal day job, right? Um, where we are and it's an incredible place. I'm, you know, with two co-founders uh, who just have that same philosophy and how we want to run a company, very honestly, um, with strong morals and strong values um, and produce a really great product that fits a great product need. Where we are today, my role is COO. What that really means is founder-led sales, right? So I'm out there representing the company. And um, what's most important is that we make our early adopters um, very successful. So I wear a lot of different hats in doing sales and then um, customer success, making sure that our customers, our early adopters who believe in us, who really believe in this vision are set up for success. And I'm also writing content and writing copy <laughs> and um, helping to develop the product, not coding, uh, but really the directionality and the vision um, in addition to running, um, you know, um, um, design partner calls. Um, we're soliciting feedback from, you know, literally hundreds to maybe even a thousand um, customer marketers out there. That's who the product is is uh, really for um, to make sure that we're developing something that, that hits their needs so that we get, you know, the most market value possible. All right, listen, you guys are an early stage company. So why don't we tell listeners a little bit more about your product, right? Like, let's use this to plug the company a little <laughs> bit. Talk you. about what you guys all <laughs> offer. Thank you. So, you know, I'm actually going to first start with the why. Um, yeah. I, I deeply believe from my experience in services that one of the most efficient ways to grow um, is through your customer base. Services have always done a dynamite job of utilizing their customers and their network um, to further grow. So whether that's expansion, repeat deals, um, or referrals, this is really that go-to-market function that services does so well. Fast forward, I joined Aircall. 
um, product company, we had an amazing amount of inbound leads coming in. We had an amazing partner program, um, but there was this channel from customers that just didn't exist as much. And I was so confused of why we weren't doing more with our customers. And this is where myself and my co-founder, um, Jeff Reekers, who's the global CMO of Aircall, really partnered together um, and really made some changes and made some headway. And that was kind of the impetus for Champion. So what we do um, is we created a product. We're in beta stage right now. We've got some great early adopters really helping us bring it to that next level. But it's all around um, helping our customers drive revenue through their customer base. And the first point of that is identifying your champions with our AI tool. So it's AI driven. Um, and it's identifying who are your super users? Who are the people who are most likely to raise their hand and say, heck yeah, I wanna do something on your behalf because I really love your product or I really love your service, right? Once you get them to raise their hand, you've identified them, you wanna activate them. And then you're gonna put them in different revenue driving plays, whether it be a reference program to help you deal acceleration um, and uh, deal volume, right? Um, or is, sorry, time to close um, and then helping to close deals. Um, where the deal volume comes into play is tracking job changes, right? Once you've identified these champions and you really follow them along the life cycle, they're ine inevitably fantastic people. They're gonna move on. Um, and so you wanna follow them to that next role. And again, that's a practice that's heavily used in services um, that you know product side hasn't done as much. So. Um, those are two examples of these revenue driving plays. Of course, there are tons more um, ways that you can activate someone for advocacy. Uh, but the whole premise is how do we meet customers where they are within their customer journey um, to put them in these appropriate revenue driving plays where it's a great experience for them. Um, perhaps it's, you know, event speaking so that they get an opportunity to build their own brand. Um, and then you get, you know, their powerhouse words and, and advocacy of why they love your product, et cetera. So um, I'm excited about it. I'm very passionate about it because I think it's a very real way to grow your business. Yeah. And not only that, but as the entire tech world especially really shifts to efficient growth and thinking about path to profitability. Um, this is the fastest way. If you're not really thinking about how to um, strengthen your customer base, how to create more stickiness within um, and what your expansion plays are, you're going to lose in this economy. And so it's really perfect timing for this as well. I love it. Listen, as a customer leader, I, I couldn't be more a bigger <laughs> fan of what y'all are doing. So I'm super excited to hear that. So listen, obviously, this is probably not what you envisioned you'd be doing or where you thought your career would go as a young girl. So, uh, or at least I assume that we weren't daydreaming about being a COO or a co-founder. I mean, I wasn't when I was a little girl. No. So what was it? Like, what, what was it that you wanted to do? What were the career aspirations that kind of led you to where you are today? So I'll tell you this. I knew I always wanted to be in charge. <laughs> I think having known you for only the couple months that I have, that is not surprising at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, I definitely knew I wanted to be a leader. You know, like I, I in the fourth grade dressed up as a rich lady for Halloween. <laughs> that was my Halloween costume. And I don't come from money. So like, you know, Man, it was, I had my- I think you set. nailed my Halloween costume for 2024. I'm in. I like go. it. <laughs> oh boy, I was gaudy and tacky. I mean, my interpretation of what a rich person looks like is, I don't think what a rich person looks like. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. But um, what did I want to do? I, I had a dream, Christy. I had a vision. Uh, my vision was to become a hot dog vendor. Okay. Now, when you told me this when we were preparing for today, I didn't yeah. want to know more because I needed to hear it <laughs> firsthand from you. Like, what? Yeah. So, Tell. okay. To, to be fair, there was a hot dog vendor that I kind of modeled this dream after, right? So it's not like it was just out of the blue. I wasn't that much of a visionary. I have to say it was maybe I'd be like, you know, a, a fast copier or something. But there was this hot dog cart. And I just remember thinking how smart it was, right? I did the analysis around it. It was on 2nd Avenue um, in Kipps Bay in New York City and on the corner of, I think, 30th and on 2nd Avenue. And so there was like this lane where you could park your cars and there's this little island and then 2nd Avenue, like four lanes, super busy. And it was by these big apartment complexes that had a park. And so we'd go to that park, that playground. 
and we'd always stop to get a hot dog. Now I love hot dogs, and till this day, I eat a hot dog on my birthday every year. Like that's my. That's <laughs> Wait, do you have a summer birthday? I do. Yeah. Okay, so I, I do yeah. feel like there is something to be said about like being able oh, to have correlation. the hot dog and a summer yes. barbecue-ish yeah. type thing. Okay, agreed. But I do have like a specialized hot dog named after me. That, but that's another story for another time. We might have to re-record um, just for that. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> I'll put I'll put the you know the, the, the recipe. Yes. Uh, when you post this, yeah, my hot dog. Uh, <laughs> it is the best hot dog you'll ever eat. But. Um, that aside, so why the hot dog vendor? Okay, so location, 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 right? That's one of the core principles of marketing um, and, and being a successful retailer. Um, you get the cars that were passing by. Uh, Second Avenue was um, a very big taxi avenue because the mm. traffic flows really nicely. And as we all know, if you're a native New York City girl, you know that taxi drivers love to eat. They love to eat quick. They love to eat good food. And so lots of taxis were stopping there. So I saw the opportunity for a great market there. And then all the kids coming from the playground. So you had just a really great high traffic environment with a variety of clients. And my mom tells a story that as you know, the years went on, my dream did not die. It grew. So it went from hot dogs to also then having shish kebabs to having roasted chestnuts. And that's where, you know, like I did market research from, you know, around the city from all the different carts that I saw. And it really became this empire of an idea. So um, that is what I aspired to be for, I think, a good like four years of my childhood. Okay, I got to ask, though, when did it pivot away from the hot dog vendor? I know. I don't think it ever has. So for my so there's still hope. birthday, there's still hope. My 40th <laughs> birthday, my friends sent me a singing hot dog telegram. Oh, yeah. You have for best my friends. Best friends. For my going away party at Air Call when I decided to leave, my team um, made a hot dog cart out of a bar cart with an umbrella hats they got nathan's hot dogs and they let me pass out hot dogs to everyone dream come true oh my gosh i, I hope yeah. that there are photos of this and maybe if there is <laughs> one or two you'd be willing to share so we can include it in the post because i think that i mean i personally would love to see this yes. hot dog uh action yes. that was going on okay I, well, listen, I, I so do. you have this hot dog <laughs> dream um yeah. and that pivots right when do you think that you started to shift and have grander visions for different aspirations that might have led you to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I feel very lucky that um, I've had a, a varied career that you always kind of fall into. I've never been the type of learner that does, you know, heavy, heavy research, or I was not, you know, a bookworm. I actually have learning disabilities. So school is really hard for me. I learn by doing and I feel very fortunate that I was put in positions where I could learn on the go, on the job, um, and quickly. Um, so I'm an astute learner when it comes to learning very hands-on, right? And so, um, you know, I had early internships in the accounting department where I really got to understand um, accounts payable, accounts receivable, um, how to balance the books. And, and that was just eye-opening in terms of how do you run a profitable business or if you're not profitable, how do you prioritize, you know, paying bills, et cetera. And um, I credit that a lot to Esther Malamud at Wafni who took me under her wing. She was like this scary CFO to everyone, but she just like was so wonderful to me. Um, and I was, you know, like prioritizing billing, um, you know, at the age of 16 for a summer. And it was just such great exposure. But it did lead me to realize I don't like being behind the desk. Um, and so, you know, I, I started to explore different avenues. I went to a business school, a business undergrad, Bentley, an amazing school where it really teaches you cross-curriculum. So you've got your major. I was a marketing major. But you have to take all of the core, finance, statistics, economics. Um, so it really gives you great exposure to um, all of what business encompasses. Um, and I realized that I loved advertising. Andy Ellsworth was my, was my, um, professor. Uh, he was like, you have got to go into, um, advertising. You have got to go into creative and I've got contacts for you, but it would be in Chicago. Do you want to move there? And I was like, no, I'm going to move to New York. Like stupid. Um, so I moved back to New York. Um, and I, you know, didn't want to focus on getting a job my last three months of, of college because I knew that. Once I leave college, like it's go time, right? And it's time to hit my dreams. It's time to hit my career. And so I just wanted to party my last three months of school. So to be honest with you, Christy, I took a job. Um, I had been working at Express to, you know, 
have beer money in, in college. Um, okay, Express, so, like the, the clothing store. The clothing store. store. Okay, yeah. Yep, the retail yep. store. Sorry, yes, the retail <laughs> store. Um, and so I got a job with them um, as, as a manager, as a store manager, and was like, okay, as soon as I graduate, I'll just start as a store manager. Um, at the time, it was, uh, I got a better salary than a lot of my friends who were going into accounting because the economy had just crashed in 2001. And so, um, you know, I felt like that was a pretty good deal and that I'd just move home, I'd start there, and then it would give me the opportunity to look for an advertising job, which was my big dream, right? And then all of a sudden, I stepped foot on the floor, Christy, and I had the most amazing leaders, um, Liz Hughes and Robin Sumas, who taught me two very disparate things. Liz taught me how to be a coach. You know, she taught me how to motivate a team. And, you know, our employees were all college kids, just like I had been, who mm -hmm. are not making commission, who are there for just an hourly wage. And there's no motivation for them to sell more or sell less. And so it's how do you tap into this intrinsic motivation to really inspire people to want to work as a team and do more? And that was such an incredible lesson that I've carried through and really has shaped my management style. Um, paired with Robin Sumas, who was just this poised, badass leader who broke the ceiling um, and really taught me how to hold myself, how to you know carry a high-level conversation. Um, Michael Weiss, who was the owner um, and CEO of Express at the time, we were across the street from the design studio, so it was his favorite store to just come in, pop in, and visit. So, you know, I, I was leading the show on the weekends when he would pop in and she really taught me, talk to him about what he cares about when he, I'll never forget this. She was like, gee, when he asks you how you're doing, he doesn't really care. He's not asking about you. <laughs> He's asking about the business. <laughs> so That's when smart. he asks you, wise words. Right. So, you know, he's like, when, when he's asking you how you're doing, know your numbers, make sure you're checking your numbers. And this is something that I carried through when I, when I broke into technology. So this is a very long answer to your question. Um, but that was a transition of, of really understanding that sales um, and leadership was my avenue and retail is how I got there. And I later moved into technology at a company called Blue Wolf. Uh, where it was really two two sets of businesses. Um, it was the first um, and premier consulting firm of Salesforce.com, uh, where we really built out a Salesforce practice and the entire ecosystem. And then next was um, IT staffing and digital marketing staffing. And I worked for both sides and then hopped over to the IT and digital marketing staffing um, for the majority of my career there. All right, well, listen, we got to go back to Blue Wolf because there's a story okay. here, right? So as you're reflecting back on your career journey, we talked about like pivotal moments, right? Or decisions that contributed to your ascent to the C-suite. And you started to share a little bit about how you got the job with Blue Wolf. And so I want to spend a couple minutes talking about oh, that yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. So I had just, um, I just taken a year off. Um, I was in my late 20s or mid to late 20s, and I, I call it my quarter life crisis. Um, I had pivoted from retail to a desk job and was just like completely lost and um, single at the time and I was dating and I realized that I just lost myself when I was going out on these dates and I had like nothing worthwhile to say. And one day I came home and I was like, man, I'm really boring. Like, of course they don't want to go out on a second date with me. I have nothing worthwhile to say. And I realized it was because I wasn't stimulated at work. I wasn't utilizing the talents that I love to utilize that really give me motivation, that inspire me to want to do more and give me life. So at the same time, I'd met a friend who was traveling the world and I got really jealous. And I was like, I'm not a jealous person. If I want to do this, just go and do it. So I went for a year and it was amazing. I backpacked. Um, and this is before like cell phones were everywhere and stuff. So it's just crazy times. Um, but when I came back, I was like, okay, again, it was like that same pivotal, like kind of like that same experience of like graduating college. It was like, when I am back, I'm on, right? It's going to be a hundred percent. I'm an all or nothing type of person, you know? And so it's like, it's got to be the right fit. And so my sister um, knew this family, the Curvins, and Michael Curvin was one of the founders of Blue Wolf. And he was like, yeah, send me your resume. I sent it to him. He was like, this looks great. When you get back to the city, like let's interview, go in for the interview. 
borrowed my mom's clothes because I had like no money to my name anymore. <laughs> so you didn't have the Halloween costume left over with your rich. You have your rich lady garb. Got it. Okay. Totally. Yep. Did not. Did not. Did not. Um, so I'm like, you know, looking all stuffy, going for an interview, and he was like, "What? You borrow your mother's clothes?" And I was like, "Yeah. In fact, I did. In fact, I did." <laughs> um, so that's how the interview starts. Um, but I interviewed. I I thought that I did really really well. Um, you know, I took note to the questions that they asked me, to, you know, properly assess, you know, how I did, et cetera, and um, left feeling good, got a call saying, you know, or actually, I think it was an email, um, just saying, hey, you know, we thought you were great, but it's just not the right time right now. We don't have budget. And I just thought to myself, man, I blew it. It's like, that's just, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as no budget for the right salesperson, right? So it just right. means that I didn't do a good job. Um, and so it's like, how am I going to prove myself? And so I thought about what were the questions they asked? What were the hangups? What were the objections, right? One person had asked, hey, you've just been traveling. Like, are you really into work? I've had friends who have done this and who just like couldn't get back to the corporate world. So that was one, right? The next one was, hey, you've been a manager. Why would you want to come and be an IC and individual right. contributor? Like, aren't you going to get bored? It's like, okay, these are the two objections I need to work through. So I sent in really great crafted emails. Still no. Okay, fine. So I realized, okay, what's a business line? What else is out there? Long story short, I got a job with a competitor, um, dangled that carrot, emailed Michael Curvin, was like, hey, have you heard of this company before? He was like, oh, yeah, I have. I was like, yeah, I'm interviewing. I'm in final stages. He's like, if you need help uh, negotiating the contract, let me know. Feel free to send me over the offer. And I was like, okay, point one, I got him. He's curious to see what they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just also, just from a, learning competitive analysis like stance right um took the job i called him every week i called him every week because i knew that i wanted to work at blue wolf you know the job that i'd gotten was at a you know very large established organization i had zero interest in being a cog in the wheel i really wanted to build and i knew that blue wolf was on this precipice of like growth and i wanted to be a part of that um and it was just a cool company it was a tech company um, and I wanted to be part of that environment. So I just called him every single week um, and shared my experiences, shared my value until I got the job. And to this day, I can't remember if it was every week for six weeks or three months. I that time lapse. I'm not sure. Um, but <laughs> he finally fuzzy. hired me. Yeah. That, you know what is so crazy about that? It's like, I feel like right now, especially in tech, right? There's so many folks who are, are unfortunately still looking for work. Yeah. And I hear the approaches that people are taking, right? It's like the, the spaghetti at the wall, right? They're applying to jobs on LinkedIn. They're talking a lot about how they can't get an interview. They can't get this. They can't get that. And I'm not saying that anyone is a, a victim here, but you're somebody who wanted something so bad that you went to those extreme lengths until you got it. And yeah. I do feel like right now, when you're in a market like we are, you have to separate yourself from everyone That's else. That's it. That's it. It's like you so were different. You stood out. Right. You wanted exactly. it. Yeah, I think, you know, I coach a lot of people in, in, in how to get a job um, and, and how to find that right job for you. And, you know, what interviewers, because look, I've interviewed thousands of people, maybe 10,000 people at this point in my career. Why them and why this job? Those are the two questions that need to be answered, right? Why is this person right for the job? And why do they want this job specifically? Not why do they want to join the company? Why do they want this role in particular? And those are, those are the answers that, you know, as, as someone who is interviewing, you need to be able to make very clear. And as you mentioned, just really stand out. Um, why me? Right. Um, and, and that, that's what will help it land uh, that job. Rising to the top doesn't come without some battle scars. I know this, you know this. So as you think back on your career, what were some of the significant challenges or obstacles that you had to face and, and how did you work to overcome those? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think that there are so many that it's really hard to just like pinpoint one and think about it right now. I, isn't that uh, sad though? Is that like, yeah. there's a flurry of those that come to our mind often more times than our successes. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. You know, I think what was incredible about Blue Wolf, and I'll say that it was a challenge um, and and an opportunity, right? Um, But we had to, well, gosh, again, so many stories are coming to mind right now. I had to pivot a lot. and, And that's what I love doing. I mean, one way that I really rose to the top at a fast scale 
um, startup to scale up was to reinvent myself in some capacity. It was always identifying what was really needed and what was missing in the org structure and becoming that person. Um, so if there was a new department that we needed, I was the person who was going to create it and then probably hand it off. Um, or if there was something struggling, I would come in and fix it. Um, and so I think that part of the challenges that I faced is just staying relevant. You know, a company as a scaling company can either outgrow you or you could be the person to help it grow. And so when you're in that startup to scale up world, a huge challenge is staying relevant and making sure that you're the person who is learning and growing so that you are growing the business as opposed to being outgrown, which happens and that's okay as well, right? Because um, I do think that we all have a certain sweet spot in terms of what size we're really good at at an organization. Um, but that was one of the challenges that I faced. Um, and again, was a huge opportunity because I got to do a lot of different things and ultimately grow to COO. Um, at Blue Wolf. The She's So Sweet podcast is brought to you by Client Success. Client Success is an all-in-one customer success platform to help post-sale implementation and success teams manage customers from new to renew. Through an industry-leading platform approach, Client Success gives businesses an in-depth view into customer health, product usage trends, along with churn and risk data so that your team can not only retain customers, but help them grow as well. Whether it's managing customer onboarding workflows in shared portals, building custom health scores, tracking sentiment with NPS surveys, or doing more with less through AI and automations, Client Success gives customer success professionals a true one-stop platform to manage all aspects of the customer journey. To learn more about the industry's fastest-to-implement customer success platform, visit www.clientsuccess.com. That's Client Success. Simple powerful customer success. One of the things that I hear from a lot of women is our communication style can oh, yeah. either help or hinder our success. Um, in some cases, you have women who think that they need to come in and kind of bully their way into conversations. It can be overpowering and, and domineering, right? And that's not well received. And then on the other side of it, you've got women who can be a bit more submissive in conversations and take a back seat or folks who are overly nice or accommodating or yes people. Either of those doesn't serve us well. And it seems that we always find ourselves in an organization that doesn't want the particular style that we're bringing to the table. Totally. It's Have like you ever if been you in a situation like that? Totally. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like without a doubt, you know, it's so interesting. I was taught to be, you know, a hammer, right? Like my original management style was just like, be this hammer, you know, be the drill sergeant. No one needs to like you, like, you know, activity, 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 you know, as in sales ops, like, you know, make sure everyone's doing what they need to be done. And I hated it and it felt so wrong, drove great results, great results. Uh, but it didn't feel like me and it, and while I know I influenced a lot of careers in creating great habits and, and people share that with me today where they're like, that was like boot camp, no joke. Um, I think that I could have achieved those same habits in, in a different management style. And so I took a lot of time, um, with career coaches, specifically Forte Consulting, Johanna there, um, and, and. Kim Morrow and really tapped into my empathy. I'm a highly empathetic person. I wear my heart on my sleeve as I've shared everything, honestly, with y'all. Um, that's just who I am. Um, and it was, how do we marry this? And I also think it's the right time um, in what this new work class generation wants is a far more real leader, right? As work life um, and personal life has blended together, um, it became more and more apparent for this. But, you know, this started happening even before this transition. I, I just wanted to be me. Um, and so I really, really learned how to inspire, right? I took those early lessons from Express. How do I get back to that within the tech world? How do I intrinsically inspire? How do I understand, you know, like Simon Sinek's why, right? How do, how do I do that workshop uh, with all of, you know, my teammates? How do I allow them to feel part of the solution so that people aren't pointing fingers and instead really being part of the solution and building together cross functionality because I manage a lot of different teams as well, right? Or I run different teams. Um, and so I joined an organization, um, you know, as a GM leading, leading North America, um, my boss told me I was too nice. I was too nice. 
And he and viewed that as like that was a shortcoming. Of I, yours. It's a negative, right? Like he he said to me in a one on one, like you're too nice. Your team is taking advantage of you. You're too nice. And I wanted to throw up in my seat and be like, are are you kidding me? I took a deep breath and I just looked at him very calmly. And I said this twice: don't mistake kindness for weakness, right? Don't mistake kindness for weakness, because ultimately, as you as you're pointing out. He's not saying nice as a nicety or just a comment. He's saying that he, he thinks that I'm not effective because I'm not demanding enough from my team. And I promise you, and this is what I followed up with, go ask any of my team members if they think that I don't you know, expect the most out of them. Like ask them, right? And so I think part of the challenge that you're really prompting me here to share is, you know, it's not just you know, showing up a certain way or being true to ourselves, women have to really face how, what's the perception around us. And there are so many more expectations. And I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, this situation where I'm really one of the only women in the C-suite, you know, the other was HR, um, but part of kind of the go-to-market team running the business, I was the only female in the room. And so by nature already, there are differences there. Then there are the communication styles that are very different. There are also cultural barriers that were very different. Um, so it was not just management style to management style, but it's also communication style, communication style. And then there was also just the philosophical, you know, we believe in running teams differently. And so that was a really great challenge um, that I had to bear um, and I, you know, stood by the way that I manage and I'm not going to change. Um, I know it was highly effective. I grew the territory three X in the two years that I was there. Um, and my team, you know, always, you know, in all of the surveys, um, the engagement surveys, I got a hundred percent approval rating and I had the highest engagement survey out of any department within the company uh, every quarter that I was at the company. Highly effective. That's amazing. It always kind of reminds me of the the movie The Bronx Tale, right? Where they say, oh, is it better to movie. be is it better oh. to be feared or respected? Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of feel like there's a bit of that in the culture that yeah. we're always faced with as women, right? Like do we do we show up one way or another to be the most effective versions of ourselves? It's so true. And you know, what what struck me as crazy is and I'm gonna be like hundred percent transparent, there is, you know, an experience at an organization that I was with where my team I mean, would rave about me, right? It was like, I walked in and when I say team, right? Like I had, you know, VPs, directors under me, et cetera. Um, but everyone far and wide, I'd walk in and it was like, I was a celebrity and not because I was sitting on, you know, the, the high tower, but because I was like of the people, right? And and I had one-on-ones with everyone. I was, you know, influencing everyone. I was coaching everyone. I was very hands-on and it, it crossed over, not just my team, but, you know, globally, um, and yet, when I would walk into the C-suite, I got a much different reception from my peers. And there was something so fundamentally wrong about that. And it was really disheartening um, that just because I had a different style and a different communication style, they couldn't see the greatness that I brought to the table that so many people could, the people who are really influenced by it. It's a shame. It is a shame. And I see it a lot, too. I mean, it's sadly, you're not the only person to have those experiences, I, I do think things are, are maybe getting a little bit better. Things are evolving, but yeah, it's still yeah. a challenge for us all. I am confident of that. Yeah. Well, listen, we talk about challenges and I know that we can both sit here and probably rattle off uh, a full hour's worth of all of those, but let's spend a few minutes reflecting back on your successes. Cause obviously you had to have a bunch of those to get you to where you are today. So when you look back, what would you say has been your proudest moment or accomplishment in your career so far? I think my, my proudest time, um, my proudest time was at Aircall. Um, I joined during the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, um, still in quarantine. Um, I was in California um, sorting through a rough marriage as well. So personally, I was going through a lot of stuff. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm blending you know, personal and professional. Um, but I took on this role um, and like most women, we always think we're not qualified. Yeah, I almost didn't interview for it. And I was just like, you know what? Screw that. You know, any man, right, would interview for this role, believing that they could. And, and I ended up getting the role. And I was like, heck, yes, I can do this. Um, but why I'm so proud of it is because I finally got to be the leader 
that I wanted to be. Um, and I finally got to really put really amazing programs in place to build a culture of community, to build a culture of greatness. So when I talk empathy, it's not, you know, giving people hugs and, and, and walking out the door, you know, holding hands all fluffy. That did happen. <laughs> you know, the holding hands part, that's a little weird. Um, but um, it was about how can we be the best versions of ourselves and really focus in on our strengths so that we have this gravitational force of excellence that has compounding effects. That's the power of being the type of leader that I am um, and really enable others to be as well. So it's very much focused on coaching. It's very much focused on enabling the teams um, and the people and the right players to do the right motions at the right time, building processes to scale, um, but really creating an environment where there's mutual respect for other teams and really talking about cross-collaboration. Um, and so it was just one of the most inspiring times. Um, I, you know, I think a really cool project that we all did together to kind of share what all of this means, right? I talked about the engagement surveys before, um, but I wanted to make sure I think I, a, a pillar for me in how to build um, a strong culture is making sure that employees feel heard and again, part of the solution. So they not only need to be part of the solution by um, you know, sharing and, and contributing to projects that go beyond themselves. Um, but I also need to show them that I see them being, and I want them to be a part of the solution also. So these engagement surveys would come out, um, and, you know, it, it would, you know, comprehensive, you know, analysis on it. We would take the top three and the bottom three, kind of like, here are the top three things we're great at. Here are the bottom three things that we need to work on. And we would do a workshop. So I think I had five or six teams under my belt at that time, everything from SDR, BDR through, you know, sales, the whole customer journey, right? All the go-to-market teams. And and um, we would we would have the emerging leaders run workshops because I also wanted to give them an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to lead. Um, and so we'd have about 10 people in each of these groups, maybe about 15, we had 10 groups. Um, and we would work on, here are the you know, bottom three things, here are the top three things. Top three things, what could we do more of? How could we lean into this more to make sure that we don't lose sight of these great things that we're doing today? These bottom three things, how could we all improve the culture together? What are things that we can do? And we came up with really, I mean, they came up with really great strategies like um, let's have some cross-functional projects or let's work on the onboarding process because this is broken and it's hurting our communication a little bit. How can we enhance X, Y, and Z? And so doing this every quarter allowed people to not only feel heard, but to sh see that we're hearing them, we're listening, and we're going to do something about it. But it's not just the top who needs to do something about it. It's everyone collectively that right. needs to build a culture. So that's an example um, of some of you know the, the programming that I was able to bring um, and why it was such a special time at Aircall and why I'm so proud of it. And I'm sure as a result of all that, you saw impact in the organization, right? Oh, right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, grew the territory 3x um, in, in you know, just shy of, of two years, um, which was just exponential, exponential growth. Um, we were the, the fastest growing um, SaaS company on the market at the time. Um, which was just incredible to be a part of. Um, highest engagement surveys quarter over quarter, so the teams felt very empowered. And I also changed, you know, the face of, of my management team. When I came on board, I had, you know, four white men, it, you know, as direct reports and, and the makeup of who I brought on the team um, as leadership, you know, vastly changed. I had a 50-50 split between male-female. Um, and I had, um, I believe it was about 25% people of color. And that was something that I was, you know, working on to get more um, diversity within um, and uh, within my org. Um, spent a lot of time really focused in on coaching um, and help supporting um, growth and success um, for uh, the diverse subset within as well. That's so impactful. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's not even impactful to the business, but to all the people that you got to work with and that got to work for you. Um, and I know that that's one of your passions, right, is, is yeah. coaching and yeah. mentoring. And we've talked a lot about that. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is empowered women empower women. So yeah. what are you doing outside of like your leadership roles, right, where you have a, a, a responsibility to the people that are parts of your organizations? How else do you show up for other women to help them in ways that maybe they're not getting 
elsewhere. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mentor um, for free. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working with a couple of women right now who are, um, you know, rising um, within the tech world. And, you know, I, I do it because I love it. And because, as you mentioned, empowered women empower women. And, you know, I think that I have an interesting perspective that many women uh, my age have, which is, you know, we entered the workforce when there was this fight, this, you know, there's one seat at the table for women. And that talk about a challenge I had to go through, right, mm -hmm. is, is breaking through that. Um, and that was really hard. Oh, gosh, I've got another story, right? They're all coming. Yeah, there's now. always stories. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have my own, as you're talking about these, like, I, yeah, like, I got to oh. do my own version of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally, totally. Um, so, but, you know, as the years progress, now there's this notion that there should be more seats at the table for women. And this is what we need to encourage. This idea of we need to work together to empower each other. Uh, because that cutthroat, us pinning against each other is only hurting all of us. It's only going to hurt yourself in the end. Um, and so I've got a very, very, very keen eye on making sure that I live and breathe this value. So I mentor women um, and I you know, participate however I can in supporting wonderful women as yourself, being your first um, guest. Um, and, and helping how I can, you know, there's a great work out there now, Wednesday Women. It's a movement that uh, Leslie Greenwood uh, has started and it's just incredible. Um, it's just bringing spotlight to women who would be great speakers, women who, you know, have had much success um, and just having this roster of women so that companies can, you know, have a, a more diverse, you know, speaker group, um, candidate pool, et cetera. And, they're doing great things. So I hope to participate with more, with them even more as well as time progresses. Yeah, I've been really impressed with what they've put together. Um, and you talk about like the pitting women against each other. I mean, honestly, like just a flurry of <clears throat> stories and like lived yeah. situations come to mind. And I think it's always so unfortunate when you see that play out. And like yeah. you, I've made a very concerted effort to not make that a part of my continued journey and always yeah. avoiding that at all costs for people that are part of my organizations. But absolutely it's crazy I mean, how I, deliberate it felt at the time too. Completely. And not and, and what was interesting, I was in this one org where it was not only, you know, kind of pitted against each other, but I also realized because I ran operations, was that I was being paid the same as as these two other women and we always got a raise at the same time and i knew that i drove a lot more value and what i realized was we had one male counterpart who was put ahead and then the three of us were treated as like this package deal because oh would our feelings be hurt could we understand this concept that we we drive different value and, and we should be you know evaluated as an individual um, and that was really eye-opening in and going back to kind of our, our first conversation in, in um, interviewing. It's it's the same thing you have to do within an organization of like how do how do you make sure that you continue to show how you are different from the crowd? Um, and it came you know in this context as well. But that was really hard, and that was just sexism at play. Um, it, that one was a really hard one. That was a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's sadly, I, I still see it in some organizations yeah. and I still hear stories from women and I'm always still so shocked. I'm like, how is that still a thing? Why is it yeah. still happening? But a lot of it is unconscious, you know, where it's yeah. just like, you know, and that that's really difficult is, um, you know, when they don't even realize it. Right. All right, well, listen, you're not yeah. just your career. Obviously, you do things outside of what, well, maybe as, maybe as a co-founder, maybe not as much as you'd like to, right? And so we go into this thing about, like, you know, I think for a lot of folks, there's this, this optical illusion of, like, right, like, to be in the C-suite, you're basically compromising, and you cannot have a work-life balance, right? You're making sacrifices at home for your career. And I'd like to say that I see a lot of women actually bringing more balance later in their career as they move up than they yeah. did in their earlier stages, right? Yeah. And I think that was a part of how I operated. But when you think about it, like balancing the demands of your position as a co-founder, as a C-level executive, how do you balance that personal life and really navigate that? Like, are there strategies or habits that have been proven for you particularly effective? Yeah, for, for so, it's funny you mentioned that you know earlier in the career versus later in the career. Earlier in the career, I I, I was a workaholic, 
I was working 14 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. Yep. I was a road warrior flying all over the place. I did whatever it took, but I knew again, that, that, that fourth grade dream of being a rich lady. I knew that <laughs> to get to that point, um, I needed to work my ass off and I had the stamina. Right. I had it in me. I had the drive. Um, and it was the right time to do it because I knew that there would be a cap as hard as you work. How do I want to retire? So I knew it was a long game, right? Like, how do I want, like, at what level do I want to be where I'm enjoying life? So I knew it's really hardcore focus in my 20s and my 30s so that once I'm in my 40s, I can slow and balance things down. The work-life balance for me was always, I'm going to work more and personal life less in my 20s and 30s so that it could be flipped in my 40s with a higher bank account. That was my strategy. And it worked. Um, and so now um, in my 40s, and I won't say where, uh, <laughs> I don't really care. Um, I love I love aging. As I say, 40s fun. are the new 20s as far as I'm concerned. There we go. I like it. <laughs> um, and I still look 30, so it's all good. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Or so delusionally, I like to think. No, um, and so what do I do now? Habits. Um, I get sleep. I need sleep. So the so stamina important. that I was talking about before, I don't have that much as as much stamina, right. I should say. Um, so I need my sleep. I get eight hours of sleep every single night. Period. Um, you know, I text and emails that come after hours. I only respond if I absolutely need to. I only check it. Um, if I know that there might be a code red or something happening. Um, and so I set clear boundaries and I take weekends now. I take weekends. If I have to do a project, if I have to prepare for a board right. meeting, different, you know, different case, there will always be outliers. Um, but I make that more the rarity than the norm. That's great. Do you set those boundaries with your partners, right? Like you, yeah. you're part of this co-founding team yeah. where it's like everyone's doing so much. Yeah. How do you make sure that your boundaries don't live in your own personal silo and that you've brought them in to understand what you will and won't do? Yeah. I mean, this was part of our, our, our kickoff meeting that we had. Courtney Crispin, Jeff Riekers, my co-founders, you know, we, we sat in a room and we really talked about how do we want to build this company? Who do we want to be? What are we each willing to bring to the table? Um, how do we best offer and then it's readdressing these. You know, we, we just had an offsite, the three of us again together. It's kind of the six month mark. And we checked in with each other, you know, and, and, and making sure that we are aligned on, um, you know, what we want those habits to be, what we want those boundaries to be, um, so that we're all on the same page. And, and one, like, I'm just an anxiety ridden person. I always feel like people think I'm not working hard enough, not contributing enough, not doing enough. Right. And so it's like, I just need that for my own personal sanity to like relax a little bit. Um, but it's always smart to align and just get on the same page to make sure that everyone, um, feels really good about the way that we're structured and, and the boundaries that we set. I love that. I love that you're communicating that. Yeah. And it comes, you know, with a lot of trust. I trust, I deeply respect them and trust that they're doing what they need to do. And, and I know that the same is true of them for me. So let me ask you a question. So you talked about like this hustle mindset that you had in your twenties yeah. and thirties. And I will tell you cut from the same cloth, right? Like I yeah. was like working crazy hours. I was supporting India, I was supporting Australia. Like, I don't know when I slept and I very much like you said, I know that if I want to get to where I want to go, I need to put in the work right now. And I was not, I was not shy about that. Right. And I committed it to myself. I made it clear to you know, anybody I was dating or my partners. Today's generation feels a little different, right? Like, I don't know that there is that same hustle mindset. There is more, I think more focus around that work-life balance earlier in the career how do you think that's going to impact this generation's ability to to break the same barriers or to climb as, you know, as we took a different approach? I think it's all relative, right? Your competition is your competition. So what's your competition doing? <laughs> if it, this is the new work, you know, way, then, then, then the, you know, strong people are going to stand out. It's just that threshold changes of what that hustle means. Um, so I love this new generation. They're like my favorite to work with. I find them... <laughs> extremely inspired. I find them extremely real. Um, and they want to contribute and they want to do good in a meaningful way. And I will say there is a lot of kind of falsities. When I entered the workforce, it was like, you had to, you know, be in before your boss and leave after your boss. Like right. why? There were times <laughs> right. like, why? 
right? There were times where it was just like, okay, I'm finding things to do. And like, okay, I, I would always find meaningful things. But like, there was this idea of like, you know, you just have to be there for the sake of being there. And this new generation is calling bullshit on that. And I love that. You know, they're like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to work really hard when I'm here. But in order to best perform, I also need to feel fulfilled. And fulfillment also comes from external factors, extracurriculars. And I believe that creativity really enhances um, one's ability to build a business. And so right on, you know, like find that creativity, that inspiration out there, get that rest, get that freedom uh, to then come back super refreshed. So I actually think that they have it right. You know how we always feel great after coming from vacation and right. those of us who have hustled like don't go on vacation enough? Um, why? That's silly. We know that it's a practice that helps us overperform when we come back to achieve greater results. So why aren't we encouraging the same mentality at the micro level, which is shut off, get off. It's going to prevent burnout. And I think ultimately right. you're going to get the same, if not better results. I love that. And I do feel like generationally, right, as I, I speak with a lot of women, probably our age and maybe even a little bit older, <laughs> that that burnout is real. Right. Yeah. And we had to succumb to that. And we had broken ourselves so many times to then try to repair and heal ourselves to just keep going back to that same hustle. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm ex to your point, I'm inspired by this new generation who's taking a different approach. And I can't wait to see what's going to come out of it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love working with them. They're great. They're great. They've got it right. They've got life right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inspired for my daughter who's 15, who's trying okay, to figure yeah. out things now. Yeah. Um, all right. So looking back, is there a piece of advice that you wish that you had received earlier in your career or, or what insights would you now share with your younger self? I think that it's to trust myself more. I think I held myself back a little bit um, in, in certain ways. Um, not feeling like I had all that it took um, or feeling like maybe someone was a little bit more qualified than I was. And what I would say to myself is go for it. Fight for what you really want. Um, you know, it, it's not just about how can we make everyone successful at the organization? Um, yes, that is true. But like, what do I ultimately want and how do I get there and believing in myself to get there? I can't complain. I really love where I am. Um, but there was a role where, you know, at an organization that, that I wanted the CEO spot. And uh, I didn't, I, I kind of put myself out of the running uh, because there were two of us. And I was like, well, he's great at that. So I know he really wants it too. And I could do COO. I love doing all these things. Okay, great. And I was happy and I loved what I was doing. Um, but I wonder, right? I wonder. That was a, a bit of a compromise. Um, and so I would tell myself to really sink in and be more truthful about what it is I'm looking for and what I want and just go for it. I love that. I, I'm I'm inspired by that. <laughs> and now I like as I look back, I'm like, yeah, there's there's shots I didn't shoot that I should have yeah. went for that I just I yeah. probably just lacked the confidence to do it to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah, confidence and I also, you know, think that as women, you know, talking about, you know, like the, the socialized roles that, you know, we were taught to play, at least in our generation, was, right. you know, bring harmony, right? Um, think about others, mm -hmm. take care of others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish somebody would have thought of me in those moments. Um, <laughs> next time. Um, all right. So, you know, as we're, we're, we're winding things down here, I want to talk about one thing because I do think this is important. I think a lot of folks who maybe are aspiring to, to get to a certain level in their career, they have certain career aspirations, may feel like, you know, you've learned everything you need to learn. You get to this certain place and it's like, great, I'm just there. But I don't believe that to be true. And I do think that as leaders, the most successful ones have that growth mindset, right? And they know that they mm -hmm. can never stop learning and never stop growing and evolving as, as people, as professionals. And so when you think about that, what are some of the things that you do daily, weekly, or monthly to invest in your personal growth? So I think a couple of things. One is, you know, I, I, I surround myself around people that I'm inspired by and that, that have a different skill set or a different perspective. Um, to make sure that I'm staying fresh. Um, so, you know, it's kind of that looking upward and, and kind of sideways. Um, looking downward is staying very close with, you know, that generation that we're talking about. Um, and that's really staying fresh is, is learning from how, 
you know, the new generations, how your teams want to be run, what they're doing, um, how they think, because they have so many vastly different experiences than I've had. And it's such a wonderful way um, to really learn because it's, it's going to best empower them to succeed as well. And then it's a lot of retrospective thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I think that actually to answer your earlier question also of like piece of advice to give to myself is like, don't harp on the stupid shit that doesn't really matter. Right. Like there are so right. many things where I like agonize. Why did I do that? Like, why did I do it that way? I'm so stupid. Right. And I so, agree. and so, you know, through trying to change that habit, I learned a great framework for retrospective thinking called win, learn, change. And so, you know, you get off a client call, um, whoever, you know, from your team has been on that call, what are some wins from that call? What are some learns? What do we need to change for the next one that happens, right? And this is just a great way to assess how that call went. And rather than agonizing over, you know, the stupidities that may not matter or might have, you know, caused some impact, you're really just talking about how to improve. And, and this is something where it helps me stay sharp. Um, and as now, you know, doing founder led sales, I, I've been a part of the sales cycle um, over the last few years, but as you know, an executive, you know, kind of, you know, just, just giving authority on the call. Um, I haven't been running it myself, so I'm rusty. Um, and so this is just, <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a great way. Uh, to also, again, not you know, harp on on you know the small mistakes, but to just make sure that we're constantly thinking about how to learn um, and how to grow as a result of it. And you could do a win learn change on how your week went. Um, on how, you know, a client call went, um, great thing to do with your team, how an internal, you know, how a one-on-one -on -one went, you literally could do it with anything and you start to do it enough and your mind just starts to work this way and you literally change the psychology of being um, held down by your actions versus being inspired and having a growth mindset to improve and giving yourself an action, a very easy action plan to do it. I love that. That is such like an easy takeaway so from this. Easy. So if everyone made it to the end of this episode, they get that, <laughs> that nugget I think was worth the listen in itself. Um, all right. So as we, we wrap up today, I got to ask the right, like this obviously is not the end of your journey. So as you continue to evolve in your career, what are your future goals or initiatives or what are the things that you're excited about and how do you see the, the landscape for female executives evolving, especially in tech? Great question. Um, I've got two very different answers for that. Um, how I see the landscape changing, I'm going to address this first in, uh, for women in tech. I, I think that, you know, the door has been opened. Um, I do think that there are still challenges. I mean, you look at the makeup of boards and you look at the makeup of VC and PE firms and it's mostly white men. Yep. That's what needs to change. And until that changes, women are still going to have uh, a difficult time. And so when I think about my next steps, my ultimate goal, you know, we talked about my leadership style. We talked about how it's so right and empowering for this new generational workforce. This is what VC firms don't understand. This is what most boards don't understand right now. And they expect a very different management style. I want to be this bridge. So my next step after making Champion wildly successful um, is to either join a VC firm or, um, you know, be a member of different boards to help organizations scale because that is my, you know, sweet spot um, within the go-to-market side, um, but then really be that gravitational force that can help um, bridge that gap between board member VC expectations of decisions to be made and how to run and manage the go-to-market channel is to create the right environment um, for empowered success is what I call it. I love that. So that's one option. Option two is get the heck out of tech, really tap into <laughs> my creative side and go into interior design. <laughs> well, I let me start with my home. Um, oh, honestly, I could, I could use, I could use a few, uh, points. I'm, I'm so plain Jane with things. Like I don't have that decorative eye at all. You've got to come up to my cabin upstate. I wallpaper everywhere. Um, contrast. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired already. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm coming. Come. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, Jana, thank you so much for this. Thank I mean, you. I, I personally took away so much. Um, I'm excited about our continued conversations and your journey and watching you and Champion HQ just really continue to take off. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christy. It was a blast. And I'm looking forward to your continued success as well. You're truly inspiring and love that you're doing this. 
Oh, thanks so much. Hi guys, I want to share a bit about an organization that I support called Wednesday Women. They're on a mission to increase the visibility of executive women leaders that you should know, learn from, and be inspired by. On LinkedIn, they share the profile of two amazing women each week on Wednesdays, of course. And now just imagine if we all followed, amplified, and nominated the women that we want to see more of. Their initiative provides examples of women CEOs, founders, sales executives, technical leaders, and so many more. By supporting Wednesday Women, you'll see more of these professionals in your social feeds, of course, but also on stages, podcasts, and panels. If you're interested in learning more and supporting their initiative, head over to www.wednesdaywomen.org or follow them on LinkedIn.